This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. From the uh, conversation having with Elliot there a couple of moments ago about the loudest building. Our buddy Jimmy Murphy submits this one. 1992 Adams Division Final. Adams Division. Oh, my heart. Adams Division Final. Bruins-Habs Game 4. Peter Doris scores empty netter to seal a 2-0 win. Sweep of the Habs. Boston Garden was pure chaotic joy. Loudest I've ever been in. Cheers. Peter Doris. Old Don Mills flyer. His niece, actually. Um, Raina Doris, one of the best DJs you will ever hear. She hosts World Cafe on NPR, I think out of Philadelphia. Used to never miss her show when she was uh, working at CBC. Loudest building you've ever been in. I kind of sense a theme here on the program. Let's uh, ask our next guest the loudest building he's ever been in. He's Dave Randorf, play-by-play voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, coming off a 5-1 beating of the Washington Capitals. First of all, Dave, how are you today, pal? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I am well. Okay, so for me, it was one of the it was one of the games for the Oilers en route to their Stanley Cup final against the Carolina Hurricanes in 2006, the Anaheim series, the San Jose series. Um, what was the loudest building you can recall ever <laughs> being in? You've been listen. You've been all over the world. Double IHF World yeah. Championships, like everywhere. Like, what's the loudest building you think you've ever been in? Yeah, you know what? I was listening to your segment with Elliot there, and I started thinking because I figured <laughs> this might happen. <laughs> and it's so hard. And, and without a decibel meter, you know, yeah. to actually have a, a factual assessment, so many things pop into my mind. I like Elliot going Olympics there because yeah. I will give a quick little shout out to one uh, particular amazing atmosphere that I was at in the uh, Sydney Olympics in 2000. I got a chance to go see the Saturday night swim relays. Uh, so swimming in Australia is like hockey in Canada, and nice. uh, they had a big they had a big rivalry at the time with the U.S. Still do, and it was deafening in there. But uh, this is a hockey show, so um, <laughs> I've got I've got to give a couple of nods to a couple of international world championships cities like uh, you know like, like Moscow. I mean, honestly, seeing Russia play at home, uh, you know, yeah. a different time than it is now, but it was loud and emotional there. Switzerland. It was super loud. Latvia was super loud. Sweden, you know, the world championships, I still tell everybody, you've got to do it one time. But uh, so many uh, great playoff matchups. But I, I've got to, you know, I've got to go with being in the building for game five of the 2021 Stanley Cup final when mm. the Lightning won the Cup at home. I mean, honestly, it's, I know that sounds like the home team announcer saying it, but it's no, fine. I'm sorry. Uh, this is, this, no, this is just, it's a cup, one on home ice. And I still get chills even thinking of that moment. And it wasn't loud for, you know, the last 10 seconds. It was roaring for the last five, six minutes. Mm. Deafening. Because they were so close to, to it was a one nothing game. People might forget that. Yeah, it was yeah. a one nothing game. And if Montreal squeaks that out, you still had Carey Price playing extremely well. They somehow squeaked that out. Anyway, they wanted to see it one at home. And they were just urging on it. I can think of a shot blocked by Blake Coleman that, you, you, you want to offer yeah. Shea Weber. I don't know how he even got back out for his next shift. Deafening in there. So that, that would have to be my number one. You know, I remember as a teenager watching game six at the old Spectrum, Philadelphia Flyers and Edmonton Oilers. Uh, come back in the game by the Philadelphia Flyers. J.J. Daniel scores. And we're headed to we're, we're headed to Game Seven, you know, Dave. Right, we're the same vintage. You remember that? Like that that yeah. it looked like the loudest building and sounded. Just watching it on television, it sounded like the uh, the the loudest building I had ever been in. But I want to I want to pause on one thing that you, that you just said there a second ago because I've always maintained. And again, I've never been there. I can only imagine you have, so you can speak with authority. I envy Latvian hockey fans. I think that they are some of the best, some of the craziest, some of the loudest, uh, some of the drunkest, let's be honest here. But it seems as if if their team's winning, that's great. And if their team's losing, well, that's great too. We're just here to have a great time. Before we get into Tampa, give us a nickel and dime tour around Latvian hockey fans. Riga, Latvia is a, <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a gorgeous old Eastern European uh, city with uh, a lot of charm to it. And they absolutely love hockey. And they know they're not, you know, in the class of sure. Canada or Sweden or, or the, the, the hockey superpowers, but they pack the place. I can remember one game 
where they got a little uh, extra rowdy, where they had to stop the game two or three times because they were they, Latvia was just taking penalty after penalty against Canada, and uh, they so the crowd didn't like any of the calls, all of which were penalties. Like, there was no <laughs> there was no disputing any of them being dumb yeah. penalty, one dumb penalty after the next, yeah. and Canada was scoring on almost every, every. I believe that was the team Sidney Crosby was on. It was, as a matter of fact. Right. Crosby's one and only appearance at the uh, the World Championship. Uh, so anyway, uh, they that one got a little out of hand. But having said that, man, and they travel well too. You know, uh, if mm-hmm. Latvia is playing somewhere else in the World Championship, they travel well. But uh, it is a any 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 World Championship you get to, it's a different environment. There's singing. Uh, everybody, everybody's pretty well standing the entire time, especially in the end zones. Uh, in Bern, Switzerland, they've got drums actually bolted into the railings. And some sections of the uh, arena awesome. where people just bang on those things, so uh, it's it's a fantastic event. I just love it. Uh, I just love here. Uh, l- love hearing you talk like this about uh, about international hockey and uh, specifically in Riga. Okay, so Tampa. We may look at their record this month and say, eh, pretty pedestrian by Tampa Bay Lightning standards. But I go back to that Saturday afternoon game not too long ago against the Boston Bruins. I remember watching that one and saying, this feels like. You know, not unlike Edmonton and Los Angeles last night, but that game felt like the first playoff game that I've seen so far this season. You you, you know the deal, Dave. Like, as the season winds down, there are some games that are played like it's the opening round of the playoffs, and Tampa-Boston very much had that timber right off the bat with, you know, Patrick Maroon and... We all know what what happened there, um, and then you know it's it's the top sixes neutralize each other. It's up to the bottom sixes, and the goalies are standing on their head. Um, I look at Tampa right now, and I say to myself, "This looks like a team that's ramping itself up for the playoffs. That's getting into playoff mode." And listen, this is a team that just you know tore apart the Washington Capitals last night. Um, your thoughts on this team and are they getting into playoff mode now? Is that what we're seeing with the Tampa Bay Lightning? Well, if you can give me a little time to give you a little context to everything you've said, because it picked an interesting, we in the media and we who observe hockey teams love to ask players and coaches about what was the turning point? Was there a turning point? Yeah. And that, that weekend, that game in Boston, that one o'clock start may just end up being that. So you mentioned the month of March. Uh, it wasn't, just pedestrian it was mediocre at best mm. they finished the month of march just last night seven seven and two but they are two and one in the last three games boston carolina and then the last night against the caps yeah. so they were scuffling everybody top to bottom was uh, was average at best by their standards and that includes the goaltender vasilevsky and i think everybody would agree with that and there was a lot of talk about wow you know it's just it's just fatigue of all the playoffs games, and we'll get there. We, we, we know what we have in the room. And, and you certainly give them the benefit of the doubt because they have done it. They've gone to the final three straight years, but it was really yeah. starting to look like, will they be able to pull together? So they go into Ottawa a week ago last night and get thrilled. Another sloppy one. They give up seven goals against the Senators. 15 goals in a span of three games against. It just is not the way to win at this time of year. And, you're one, and now you're going into Boston. So we get to Boston for a, an afternoon practice, Friday afternoon in Boston. The team is about almost a half an hour late coming out onto the ice, which is not normal. And they finally come out, and they start going through the motions of loosening up and getting ready. Then the coaches trickle out, no John Cooper. John Cooper did not come out, which is not a uh, regular uh, situation either. Jeff Hoffman goes to the whiteboard, and, and, you know, my partner and I, Brian Engblom, are observing this, and it looked to us like, okay, they've had a serious team meeting, they've had a serious video session, to be expected. Now they're really going to drill down on some things in practice. Jeff Halpern, when the assistant goes to yep. the whiteboard, starts drawing up some drills, and they do, I don't know, four, maybe five minutes of 5 and 0 rushes up and down the ice. Like nothing. And that's it. Coaches leave. They leave the ice, and then the players just kind of go about firing pucks in the nets and just kind of, it was like free time. It, it was like recess. And I looked at Brian and he looked at me, no Cooper. Cooper did not come out at all. All the coaches left. And listen, the message certainly appeared to both of us like, Hey, you guys don't want to show up at night. We're not going to show up with an afternoon for this practice. You guys stored it out. And so a bunch of guys just kind of hung out in the ice and talked and shot pucks and did their own thing. And they were themselves. And that was it. 
And then we're thinking, okay, well, what kind of reaction are we going to get? Well, they go into Boston. They lose a very hard-fought 2-1 game. Looked way better. They backed that up with a 4-0 shutout win at Carolina. You know, second-best team in the NHL at the time. Shut them out. And then, of course, then last night, three goals against in their last three games after 15 in the previous three. So are they rounding in a form? It's a small sample size, but I've seen this movie before now, Jeff, down here. And they are they're harder to play against all of a sudden. They are quicker in and out of their own zone. They're managing the puck better. They're more engaged. Victor Hedman looks tremendous in the last three or four games. Uh, the lines are starting to, you know, there have been a lot of line juggling combinations the last week, week and a half. They're starting to settle in. Uh, yes, I do believe the mm-hmm. lightning have finally clicked into what time of year it is. Not that I want to put too much of an accent on um, fighting specifically, but I, I look at, you know, going back to that Boston game, Maroon and Hathaway, nine, nine seconds in. How much of that is deliberate from Maroon to light the fire? Uh, what's more than a hundred percent? Take, take your pick. I mean, they, they had a conversation. I mean, first of all, both teams started their fourth lines. They, the Tampa's had some really good games this season. So at Boston, obviously, but one of their better games and one of their better wins was at home against Boston. You know, they, they beat them in a real tight game, a real it was back in late January. So, you know, they knew what they were walking into based on what I just told you. And also mm. the fact that it's the Bruins, you don't want to get embarrassed and you want to say, Hey, remember us? You know, we've been in a, you, you guys were fourth in the division last year, and, and we're, we're still around. Um, so I think Maroon and Colton, Colton dropped the gloves in that yep. opening shift as well, uh, right off the bat to set the tone. And there's no question about it. In fact, John Cooper was asked about it after the game. He said, were you surprised that that, that happened right off the bat? He, said, he was very brief after that game. <laughs> he was still buzzing, I think, from the adrenaline of that afternoon. And he gave a quick one-word answer. like, no, not, a, not surprised at all. So I think they got the message the previous day at the practice session. And to their credit, these veterans, this veteran group applied it and uh, got to work, literally got right to work. Um, I want to ask you about Braden Point. Um, We've been making this point, pardon the pun, um, recently. This is like he may hit 50 here, right? Like there's a, a real good chance here that Braden Point gets the quietest 50 goals that we've seen since, I don't know, Dave, fill in the blank. But I know Connor McDavid is dominating the scoring conversation. We all get that. Um, but is this not the quietest? You've watched a lot of hockey in your life, and you've called a lot of games. Is this not the quietest soon-to-be 50-goal season that maybe anyone's had this generation of hockey? I think respectfully to Braden, I can see how that would be the case simply because, uh, first of all, the two guys in Edmonton you know, steal all the headlines. And maybe I think, Kucherov even gets more of the headlines in Tampa because he's so flashy with his 100-point yeah. season and challenging for a career high on his end. I doubt he's going to get to his 128 now, but still, 100 points to 100 points. Uh, but uh, and, and I remember when Braden Point had his previous career high, 41. That kind of caught me off guard at the time, too, not not being around the team as much as I am now. Like, wow, that's, that's a lot of goals <laughs> for a guy who was a third-round pick. But, uh, listen, I, I watch him night in, night out, and, and rarely do you not get hundred percent at a Braden point. Uh, he is the spark plug or as my partner likes to say on the air, the transmission of the offense, he kicks things in the high gear. You know, imagine a, you know, a guy starting his, his motorcycle, you, you, that kickstart. That's what Braden point does yeah. night in night out with his speed, his ability to back, uh, back defenseman up and, and gain the zone. And he's got a sneaky, excellent shot. And he gets to that quiet spot in the power play. He's got 18 power play goals. So that's not a it's not a secret where he is, but he still has success there, and uh, he is a big big part. He's got this clutch ability too that we've talked about before, yeah. uh, Jeff. The, just the ability to score big game time goals, big overtime goals. Uh, I mean, if you look back at some of his goals, especially around December, I think he had two or three absolute stunners, and uh, he's got high level skill, elite level skill, and he is a hockey player in that. He's modest. Uh, he, you know, everybody around here is talking about him getting to 50. He won't talk about it. Hmm. And he just goes out there and plays. Uh, I mean, it, you should see him show up to the rink. He just, he's just a total hockey player that just wants to go out on the ice and play. 
and uh, it shows night in, night out. But a, wait, is it is it quiet? Sure, it, I guess it is, but not around here, not in my mind. Good old Western Canadian boy. Good old Western Canadian boy. Yeah. Um, Dave, as always, thanks so much for sharing uh, thoughts on Loud Buildings, Latvia, and Braden Point. Uh, we'll be watching the Lightning face off against the Islanders tomorrow. Thanks, Dave. Good. Good stuff, Jeff. Thanks, as always, for having me on. Dave Randorf, uh, play-by-play voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, to Braden Point's uh, point as well. Um, some of my favorite plays are when him and Nikita Kucherov are the only two players on the ice that know what the play is. It's one of my favorite things about Tampa. Now, Kucherov is the master of deception. You know, there's a saying around hockey, always give out bad information, don't let them know what you're doing. If you're going to pass right, look left. There are moments in Tampa's game where only Point and Kucherov know what the play is when the puck's on Kucherov's stick, and it is a chef kiss thing of beauty. Shannon Goldman stops by here in a couple of moments. Soraya Tinker and Jason Bukla. Big hour or two. Keep it here. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so coming up this hour, and thanks for sticking around and, uh, and hanging out with me today. Hope you have a great weekend, by the way. That includes Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. Pre-game 6.30 Eastern with your host, Ron McLean. Maple Leafs and Senators uh, alongside the Hurricanes and the Canadians. Those are your seven Eastern starts. Uh, late game, Anaheim Ducks facing off against the Edmonton Oilers. was really good last night. Connor McDavid running Mikey Anderson, uh, albeit from behind. Controversial. Um, give me seven games of those two teams. Thank you very much. Uh, Shannon Goldman's coming up here in a couple of moments from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Soraya Tinker from the uh, champ- PHF champion Toronto Six. Uh, we'll stop by Jason Bukala uh, as well. His latest top 51 prospects for this year's draft available at sportsnet.ca. And a couple of things I want to share with you here. So I I keep my DMs open uh, because people that listen to this show or the podcast or watch me on Hockey Night are smarter than me and uh, and send, send in interesting things. So here we go. This is from uh, Peter Morrow uh, who sent me this. Uh, you're talking about changes to the NHL. I would suggest a change. Why not start periods with the faceoff in the defensive zone of a te- if a team has a penalty carried over from last period I think Peter might mean offensive zone, but I've talked about that for a while. I don't know why this thing goes back to center ice. If you have a power play that carries over, why not start in the offensive zone if we're looking at ways to help juice the offense? And then, we've heard this one before. Mark Gagnon submitted this one a couple of seconds ago. Regarding OT and eliminating offsides, maybe a middle ground might be to try. I think it was an old ball hockey rule. It was. The floating blue line. Once you cross the blue line... Um, with the puck as normal, the zone switched to the red line. Yes, the floating, but they tried that at an R&D camp. I think Scotty, Scotty Bowman might have been behind that one. There were a, a number of proposed changes from Scotty Bowman. Uh, this would have been back in the 04-05 lockout when they had the, uh, the Shanahan Summit and tried out a number of different initiatives and a number of different rules. I believe that was tried there and then put on the scrap heap. Uh, in the meantime, Shana Goldman joins me from the Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Always good to catch up with Shana. And Shana's here to tell us why the Toronto Blue Jays will go 162-0. and Hello, Shana. Hi. Um, I don't know anything about that. Maybe they do go <laughs> did you, one. Did you see them dismantle the St. Louis Cardinals yesterday? Albeit they used about every single pitcher they had in the bullpen. But nonetheless... I actually did see this, but like the regular season's one thing, but show me something in the playoffs and show me not how to leaf this up. Like, I'm sorry, Toronto teams are cursed. And the next thing we're going to find out, like they're going to have this amazing regular season and then Drake's going to be like, go go Blue Jays and everything's going to fall apart. So I can't help you with that. Um, Speaking of Toronto teams and them being unsuccessful, Soraya Tinker joins me here towards the bottom of the hour. Do you have a, a further update on Toronto uh, Toronto sports teams and championships than uh, their smarty pants? I mean, it's nice to see a Toronto hockey team can do it. <laughs> a pro-level Toronto hockey team can do it. The Six had a really fun season. Yeah. That final, 
I would take a best of three, a best of five, a best of seven. That was so exciting. Yeah. I don't want to hear anyone say women's hockey isn't fun, exciting, skilled, physical, anything. That game had it all. And the three-on-three three overtime was a blast. Did you like that? Uh, Elliot and I went back and forth on this one on the podcast. I like it. I mean, I'm I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it at the NHL level. I'm fine with it at any level. Did you have a problem with three-on-three three in a championship game? <gasps> Sacrilege, three-on-three in a championship (laughs) game. Oh, my goodness, the sky is falling. Did you have a problem with it? I didn't have a problem with it per se. I think it was fun, and I think that the PHF can do that because it's not the same snobbery of the NHL. I don't think I'd want that at the NHL level. I don't because the difference is you have the overtimes that keep going. They have the shootout waiting for them. I'd like to see 10 minutes of three-on-three or 15 or 20 because we saw how fun that was for the regular season instead of a shootout automatically. But I know no one wants to add time onto games. But if that's what we're going to see, why not hit the time onto games? How, how about this? You know, I was just talking about this in the first hour of the show. I'm, I'm glad you sort of uh, guided me here. Um, for three-on-three overtime, thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm for it. I'm against it. Um, three-on-three overtime, get rid of the lines. Ooh, I like that. Why not? Why not? Why not have some creativity and have some fun? I mean, like, when you look at the shootout, right, how applicable is that to an actual hockey game that a player can skate one-on-one and beat a goaltender? That's only if you get a penalty shot. And what are the chances of that happening? So it's not like what happens in overtime needs to be perfectly equal to what happens during regulation. It's already not the case. So why not go for three-on-three, open the ice up a little bit more, try to see if it increases scoring, but I think if you're going to do that, you need to test it at a lower level. Try it at the Aha. AHL. Try it in junior leagues, right? I think the test a- I think the AHL is the spot to do it. Um, once upon a time, the AHL was that league that tried different things, and a lot of it was the hand to glove partnership that you know Dave Andrews, the, the then president of the uh, American Hockey League, had um, with the NHL. And although that same relationship still exists, it doesn't seem as if there's there are those big moments or those big issues or big rule changes that they could try. Uh, at the American Hockey League level, why not this one is is the one that I submit. Why not just eliminate all lines and it is just one big sheet? Because let's face it, they do the three-on-three overtime so the games end quicker. So they don't stretch out. Because the NHL is very sensitive to a game. I think the, the sweet spot of the bat for them is kind of between 220 and 230. That's kind of where they want their games. Um, they've done a lot of work trying to get those games into that you know, get it in, into that sort of concentrate and they're there. They don't want the big, huge, long, taking three hours of your day um, games anymore. Certainly not midweek. I don't know. This might be a, this one might, might be a way to, to end it. And for those that don't like shootouts at all, this might be another further way to, while not eliminating shootouts because you're still the authority of time in five minutes, at least decrease the chances of getting to the shootout. You know what, though? I want to know. It does feel like the NHL has a little bit more of a concerted effort for the games to end sooner, like you mentioned. Yep. Um, we're seeing this year more penalties get called, more power play goals being scored in overtime, whether it's penalties in overtime, which are on the rise this year, um, or penalties at the end of regulation that carry into overtime. So I do think that's something interesting. If there was some sort of league mandate of like, don't swallow your whistles in overtime, we want these games to end, and there's a higher percentage chance of it ending if yeah. it ends on the power play. But... I mean, there's other ways to speed up a game, too. Like, I don't know. Why don't you add more camera angles so we don't have to spend 20 minutes dissecting whether a goal was kicked in? Or why don't you redefine goaltender interference so those reviews are as black and white as an offside mm, play? Those, but... will, those, will never be, those will never be black and white, <laughs> though. That is still interpretation. Like, that, that's, that, that's... See, I think everybody expected... I think everybody expected, once it went to video review, goalie interference to be like puck over glass. It's not. It's it like It's be. like tripping or slashing or high stick... It's all different depending on whose eyes are seeing it. Nobody sees the game exactly. That's why I kind of, I, I kind of get, I kind of bristle a little bit when people talk about, oh, you need consistency from one crew to the other. It's like, you know, human beings are different, right? Like, you know, yeah. people like see things differently, and that's okay. You try to, you know, get it as close as possible, but we're still dealing with human beings here, and penalties are interpretations for the most part, other than the ones that are like puck over glass, black and white. If I think that there can be a little bit more clarity in the rules, so there's less black and white, less gray area in the rules itself, and then let the interpretation continue, it's going to be different. And I think that's fine. I think that the rules need a little bit of work. So there's a little bit more consistency while still maintaining the human element of it all. That's like my gripe with it, because I think so many people can read the rules and view them 
so completely differently. I just think they need to be a drop more stringent. And that's not saying much because they're not stringent enough as it is. Hmm. How about the idea? But by the way, um, four on three in overtime is just about as automatic as you're going to get something. Yeah. Like it's kind of a death sentence, isn't it? Like your team goes down and you go, oh, geez, four on three over. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> Maybe teams need to change their four on three strategy if you're a penalty killer, though, because how often do you think we see penalty kill drills in practice all the time? How yeah. often are teams thinking to be aggressive? They probably are trying to be as conservative as possible. Just endure. When, yeah, just you know, endure. Yeah, exactly. And that's never the way to do it. We know offense on the penalty kill is the way to go. Is there a way to be more proactive? Is there a way to, you know, teach players to be a little bit more aggressive with their stick while still trying to mitigate as much risk as possible? I, I wonder how much teams really do practice that penalty killing in overtime situations. But then again, they didn't have to before this year. We didn't see that many penalties. It's true. Now it's very much a thing. And you know what happens when coaches get their hooks into something? They suck all the life out of it. And what <laughs> used to be a lot of fun when it was up and down and bad angle shots and low percentage shots that led to two-on-ones the other way. And now we're going back. I remember that first Remember the, the first year of three-on-three? Three, there was this Detroit-Ottawa game, which was just five minutes of just bonkers, you know, uh, 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 momentum shifts and changes and odd man rushes back and forth. And it was crazy town. Now it's a lot of neutral zone regroups because, oh, yeah. I'm not taking That's a low percentage shot. No, let's just fire it back to the goalie or let's get this back to the neutral zone. That's it's a it's a it's a different beast. Um, essentially, what I'm saying is how about this for another? How about this one for an idea? I know we, this wasn't what we we're supposed to talk about, but here we go. <laughs> how about this for an idea for uh, for overtime three on three uh, coaches have to leave the bench. Okay, I'm here for that. Look, I want to see coaches get off the bench. I want to see a player elect themselves as the new leader. I want to see them get up and start leading their teammates. I want to see goaltenders out of their creases. Do not tempt me with a good time. If we can have chaos, why not? And at three-on-three, three, how much coaching can there truly be besides uh, picking out the units to go out there? There's a lot. There's a lot now. Trust me, there is a ton. No, we got to get there rid of it. Ton. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, coaches leave the bench. Like that's it. Okay, overtime. Uh, here we go, uh, coaches. You can, uh, you know, go get the hot. T- go find the hot towels. Get out of here. You can maybe come out to fill up a lineup. Fill out a lineup card for the shootout. But that's it. Yeah. No micromanaging. Just vibes. Just vibes. I love it. Um, okay. So I wanted to talk to you about about value players, and a lot of this comes from Daniel Sprong. Again, here I go about Daniel Sprong. Um, <laughs> Daniel Sprong scoring his twentieth goal last night for the uh, for the Seattle Kraken. Now he plays about like a cozy eleven minutes a night. Now, Dave Haxtell does a really good job of, of keeping the, the minutes even as much as he can throughout the lineup. Boston is great at that. Dallas is exceptional at that. And Haxtell kind of does that to a certain effect as well with the Seattle Kraken. So it, 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 does, it does force one to wonder, who are the best value contracts around the league, whether it is, um, you know, point per dollar, whether it is goal per dollar, um, I mean, Daniel Sprong's on the league minimum, 750, and he's got 20 goals and 20 assists. Uh, he's up around the top. Tage Thompson, whose new deal doesn't kick into next season, uh, I still think he is the top dog as far as compensation goes and um, and uh, and and point per uh, point per dollar. Um, who are some of the names that stand out to you? I mean, I think we should probably give some some flowers here to Zach Parisi. It's weird. I never thought I'd be saying that today, but here we are, 21 goals on league minimum, not unlike Daniel Sprong. Who jumps out for you, though, Shane? So you're right. It's Tage Thompson, without question, the best value. And obviously, we're going to see that value rise this summer. Sprong is a very good one. He's 11th in scoring rate in all situations, which is just weighing his minutes with his point production to keep everything even because we can't fairly compare a first-line scorer who plays top even strength minutes, top power play minutes to a third-line scorer. So this kind of helps us get that middle ground and gives us an idea can they do more if they were given more minutes? And he's the leader at scoring rate at five on five or 3.24 points per 60. That's nothing mm. to shrug at. He's one of the most frequent shooters in the league. So we have to talk him. Um, no. Tim, Tim Stutzla's deal is not going to kick in till next season. Um, yeah. 925 right now. He's got 37 goals. <laughs> I think you're cheating with an entry-level deal, though. 84 points. No, I'm totally cheating with an (laughs) entry-level deal because I'm going to bring up, you know, uh, Matias Michelli here in a couple of moments from from Arizona, probably knowing me, or maybe Matthew Boldy from the the Minnesota Wild. But um, Stutzla is delivering huge value for the Ottawa Senators. Absolutely. 
Um, here's another one for you. Vince Dunn, who makes about $4 million on average right now. Yep. His market value, according to Dom Lushishin's model, is $12.9 million, which is not near what he's going to get. Uh, you know, that's if you were an unrestricted free agent. Hang on, hang tomorrow. on. Can can you say that again? I just want to. I just want to get uh, Pat Morris, his agent on speakerphone here, <laughs> as you talk about what you know, <laughs> about what he's worth going up from his four million dollars. Can you say that for Pat Morris in the back? Yeah, twelve point nine is the market value. <laughs> if he was a UFA tomorrow, which isn't happening. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, and you have to consider like what Ron Francis does, his tendencies with the Canes, with. With the Kraken, like he doesn't sign anyone to over six million dollars on average. I think Grubauer technically is the richest contract he's ever signed a player to. If you look at average annual value, and that's yeah. If I off the top of my head, I think it's six point six. But this is someone that's like a legitimate number one defenseman. Finally, finally broke out, so really good value. And then if we want to talk about good value for another defenseman, how about Valamaki, who? He has one of the best influences on his team's shot and expected goal generation. Uh, suppression, I'm sorry, relative to his teammates, and he's a positive offensively. The thing is, his teammates are not very good in Arizona, so we're only saying so much with that, but he's taking on really, really, really tough minutes and doing a really good job during them, and he only makes $1.5 on the cap this year. A weird thing about him, too, A, how they got him, and number two, when he got to Arizona, it wasn't as if all of a sudden he was gangbusters. Like, he struggled early, Shane. Like, it was, woof. I don't know if this is going to work out with the Coyotes. And somewhere along the road, he really turned things around. And to your point, yeah, he's now become, you know, one of the more, you know, critical players for the Arizona Coyotes. And as this is a team that, you know, looks at, you know, uh, finding value or hidden gems or, you know, uh, players that teams have given up on under the age of, you know, 26 or or 25, Valamaki is right up at the top of that list, much to the chagrin of Calgary Flames fans. Yeah, I mean, that was a total wake-up call when you changed systems. But on that same note, let's talk about Jake Wallman, who has a $1.1 million cap hit this year, already was extended. But if you talk about someone who didn't get that same pop in St. Louis and Steve Eiserman found a ton of value in him, he has been a game-changer in Detroit this year. The difference in Mo Sider's game when he was playing with Ben Sherratt versus Jake Wallman is night and day different. And look, Sider was able to drag around Danny DeKaiser all of last year and put up impressive results. Yeah. This year, it really didn't work with Ben Sherratt. Putting Jake Wallman alongside him has changed everything for his game. He's a positive force. The pair of them, positive force defensively, positive force offensively. He's playing with pace. He's such a good player that you could look at that and go, that could be a legitimate top pair for years to come. Mm-hmm. So it was a really good find by Eiserman and a really smart extension. And it's a good value deal what he has now too. You know, what's going to be starting? You know, there's, um, I, uh, you know, I live just outside of Toronto and, you know, a lot of the oxygen around sports talk, I mean, now it's right now it's Blue Jays, but a lot of the oxygen around, around Toronto is always dominated by the Toronto Maple Leafs. And for whatever reason, Maple Leafs fans have always picked one player and usually it's a defenseman, right? This goes back to the Larry Murphy and Corey Cross and Naki Berg and like they're, they always for whatever reason, Maple Leafs fans would always choose one defenseman to get on. Jay Gardner, there's another one, would uh, would get on, and that defenseman became emblematic of all the problems that befell the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it was curious the way that over the past couple of seasons, Pierre Engvall, a forward, became the whipping boy around Toronto. And, you know, Engvall was someone that... You know, Dallas, the Stars specifically, were sort of in and out on discussions between the two teams throughout the season. The Islanders get him. Um, and Engvall on, you know, a really imp- a really impressive line. Like, I, I, I got to say, as, as much as we talk about, um, you know, uh, uh, teams that look for value elsewhere and try to find, you know, uh, diamonds in the, in the rough, um, the Palmieri-Nelson-Engvall line has been real good. Uh, for the New York Islanders. Do you have a thought on this Engvall that Maple Leafs fans said didn't exist, but now somehow does exist with the New York Islanders? It is the same person we're watching here, right? Like this isn't like sticking, you know, when you stick a, you know, when you take a stick and you put it in the, and you put it in a pond and it looks like it's bent, but really, no, it's the same stick and it's straight. Is this a different Pierre Engvall or is this the same guy that played for Toronto? 
It's the same guy, but you know what? Like when you're on a team as deep as the Maple Leafs, you're not going to get as meaningful of minutes. Obviously, that was the same with Mikiev, which is why he left. Um, they couldn't, one, afford him with his next contract. Two, he was looking for a bigger role. And the same, I think, is true with Engvall. With Engvall, you have a really good defensive forward who's speedy and adds a lot of offensive pop. I think that's a perfect way to describe him. He's like a little mm-hmm. spark plug. Um, so with the Islanders, they have this tendency to go for these grinding bottom six players who needs as many bottom sixers as the Islanders. <laughs> but with Engvall, they go for the more aggressive and proactive kind of bottom sixer. The one that can disrupt plays, the one that can, you know, not just be strong in his own zone, but turn that defense into offense better than I think a lot of the players that they already have do, because it's not, he's not just going to do it and dump the puck and then start trying to, you know, four check and play that heavy game. He has the speed and skill so it makes sense that it translates to that second line, which right now at five on five has a 66% expected goals rate. That's excellent. One of the best of any of their line combinations this year. And they're outscoring opponents 10 to two at five on five. The thing with that is they are shooting at like 19% and that's going to fade. That'll, and the goaltending is perfect in their minutes. That's going to fade. We know that. But when a line combination has good underlying numbers and a good foundation on both ends of the ice, which they do, then there's some sustainability to the scoring, just maybe not to this degree. Mm-hmm. If that can keep clicking as their second line, that's a really good second line to have because Brock Nelson's a good center. He just needs good line mates too. You know, he's not the elite one C that's going to drive a line completely on his own, sure. but he's a very good two C. Kyle Palmieri is very good at what he does. He's he's good with generating quality chances and he's, you know, cashed in on a lot of those chances and it feels like the puck luck comes and goes for him. And now you add in someone with some speed to the line and a good defensive acumen. I, I just think it all kind of clicks, and it's it's the second line they've been missing for a minute. Am I allowed to say that they make it fun to watch the Islanders? Because when don't I know watch, why everyone when says I, the Islanders are boring. When, when I watch the Islanders, I, I kind of gravitate towards that line. Like, can you put the Nelson line back out there, please, Lane Lambert? Um, a couple of minutes left with you here. I want I want to ask you about what we saw last night if we can read anything into it, and I want to drop a name on you. So I think we're all looking forward to the Devils and the Rangers in the first round. This is going to be special. This is going to be fun. Um, Devils won last night 2-1. to one. I don't know how much stock you put in that. Very happy people at the Prudential Center. Um, I want to ask you about these two teams, how they mix styles, make championships, and styles make teams, and styles make matchups. And I want to ask you about... Dawson Mercer and your thoughts on him specifically. Hughes sucks up a lot of the oxygen there. Uh, Timo Meyer now. Nico Heischer always has as well. Dougie Hamilton. Uh, your thoughts on this combination of Devils and Rangers and your thoughts on a very quiet, good season by Dawson Mercer. So this makes for a really interesting matchup. And with the playoffs, it's really tough to know how much stock to put into regular season matchups because the game is completely different, right? Totally true. What happens true. in the regular season can be completely and totally meaningless. The thing for the Devils is they're going into the playoffs with the style that most teams wouldn't want to go for. They're a rush-based team. They are elite in transition. They still, they're better off the cycle than they used to be, but they're still not great there. They have a good mobile defense and they're not relying on elite goaltending. They have average net minding that they don't keep very busy and it works for them a lot of teams would be afraid to do that. Florida Panthers are a prime example of it last year. And they decided to change their game at the deadline instead of leaning into their strengths, which is what I think burned them. They weren't able to play to their strengths in the playoffs and they panicked and changed. We can look at the avalanche from the year before, the team that got stood up by the Golden Knights and how they Mm -hmm. had to be patient and smart with their game and how that worked for them to win a championship. I won't be surprised if the Devils end up being similar to the avalanche in that they get stood up as long as they play to their strengths. I think they're going to be good. I think this is a team that has high expectations because of their regular season, but we need to remember one, the inexperience and two, that they're trying something that doesn't always work. Yeah. But for them to beat the Rangers, the keys for me would be have the power play clicking because if the power play clicks players like Hughes and Timo Meyer and Heashier and Mercer are going to have the confidence that's going to trickle into their even strength game. If that's not going, I think they're going to really struggle to play to their strengths. It, it's all about confidence, especially when you're going up against goaltender like Igor Shesterkin, who is back at his strengths. Yep. They have the five-on-five advantage from the Rangers. They have the comeback ability that the Rangers don't have to the same extent. That's going to help them. And it's going to be interesting to see how much 
they keep playing to their strengths if the Rangers try to go the physical route. And if we look to the playoffs last year, that's what the Rangers did. They were all about playing super physical against the Penguins, even though they were far worse at five on five until the final couple games of this uh, series. If the Devils can not try to stoop to that level and just try to skate circles around them, they're going to have the advantage. If they get too bogged down by that style and try to change their game, I think the series goes the Rangers' way. And um, for Dawson Mercer specifically, he is such a good player. It makes a ton of sense why they keep him on the wing because that ensures top six minutes, which he's yep. built for versus the third line. He's someone that individually, I still think he needs the help of a good center when he's on the wing. And that's completely fine. He's going to have Nico Heischer or Jack Hughes. Those are elite options to have. He's really good at generating scoring chances. And now the shooting luck's going his way. And that seems to really be just extending this strong level of play because the confidence, right? It just keeps on flowing. The thing is, I think they need to figure out what the best combinations are that are going to give them the most versatility. Um, the Jack Hughes line is the biggest line to worry about in terms of can they only play off the rush or do they have a little bit more in them? I think every other line combination can play either way. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out and where Mercer ends up fitting, whether it's with, I think it might be with Heeshear and Meyer. And then you see Brat go with um, Hughes and go from there. Yeah, I've I've always looked at Mercer and said, that guy's got to be a center in the NHL. And then I look at the centers that the New Jersey Devils have and I say, uh-oh. Um, Shannon, good stuff as always. Great stuff uh, as always. And I'm glad that we can uh, both agree that the Blue Jays will win the AL East. That's great news. That's totally fine. Let's, let's see what happens in the playoffs. <laughs> what, what was it last year? How did they crash and burn? Uh, I will be here to dump so on you when it happens. Seattle and Bichette and Springer <laughs> and center field and, yeah, the pitching and uh, the outfield Everything wasn't Everything and but the Toronto the, curse, yeah. Uh, the outfield looks good for the Jays. Come on, give us something here. Throw us a bone, Shana. Uh, all right, sure, great stuff as always. You have a – and congratulations on the new dog. And uh, have yourself a lovely dog and hockey-filled weekend, my friend. Thank you. You too. There she is. The great Shannon Goldman from the uh, Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Um, from there, I want to uh, pivot here and talk to Jason Bukla uh, about his latest piece at Sportsnet.ca. Uh, Books is a huge part of our, our draft coverage and has his top 51 prospects to keep an eye on. He joins me now. Books, how are you, pal? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, it was one of those things, Jeff. It was like, uh, do I go to 60? I really want to get a goalie in there. So it was like 50 plus one. You know, it just was one of those anomalies. But, yeah, you love this stuff. I know you're right into it. So oh, I love it. Uh, this... you, you, you can feel my pain like when you're sitting there staring at it, you know. I get it. I, you know, I, it's like you know, it's like being a musician. You're like, okay, when do when is this song over? When do I just walk away? Or an artist, like, okay, when is the painting done? I don't know because listen, I know you, Books. You could do like, oh, I got five more I want to talk about, but then like, there's the authority of you know how much people are going to read and how deep is it going to go, and the authority of my time. And um, this is really thorough, and I'm looking forward to to sitting down with this tonight uh, when I get home here from the uh, from the radio station. Uh, no surprise. Really, I don't know much how much more we can talk about Connor Bedard unless you think that there's something that we're missing here. He is, you know, far and away, consensus number one. We're all watching the lottery to see who uh, wins the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. How do you look at his season both in the Western League and at the World Juniors as well? Like, what is there still that we don't know about Connor Bedard at this point? Well, the short answer is, is pretty simple. I, I think we all get a pretty good picture of it now. I mean, we, we all can agree that this is going to be, in our estimation, uh, a prospect who's going to be able to carry a franchise at the next level. And I don't say that, you know, I don't just say that for, for giggles. I mean, this is, yeah. this is how good this player is. And, you know, it's like the, it's like the Ottawa hotel lottery back in the day when Sidney Crosby could have went to Anaheim or yeah. Pittsburgh and goes to, he goes to Pittsburgh, and and so I'm, you know, Anaheim. I say that because Anaheim's in the mix this time around, obviously for him, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. But generational talent, uh, Jeff. Uh, he's just, uh, I mean, he brings you out of your seat. He's worth the price of admission, and that's why there's going to be probably fifteen thousand people in Saskatoon, I think, tonight, right? So um, yeah. it is what it is. Um, one thing I would say though. Uh, we do have to come up with a purpose to, as a scout to go watch him play, a National Hockey League scout. And um, when you go in to watch him play, he hasn't played WHL playoff games yet. The one thing that we're all aware of is those single-game elimination um, scenarios with the U-20s or the U-18s at the you know, Canadian national team level. 
Um, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how tight the checking is on the other side and how he reacts to that. And, and, and that'll be uh, one thing just to monitor and it's not going to make a hell of a, a difference. It's, it's fine, but I'm just getting, I'm interested. Like at the prospects game, Kaelin Lynn was all over him like a yep. rash and, and uh, he was held pointless, got a little frustrated at the end. Um, I like Bedard, spiciness and pushback uh, when it's uh, funneled in the right direction. And it'll be interesting to see how, uh, frustrated he gets in in this series bracket this conversation for one second because i just remembered something that made me think of you books and it made me think of a couple of our conversations so last week i was in dallas and had a chance to do an interview jim nill gave me like an hour of his time and one of the things we talked about was the 2017 draft and that's when they you know haskinen and robertson and ottinger as well and i mentioned um when you were with the florida panthers how much when Dallas said Robertson, like your table just like smashing fists on the table, like that was our guy, that's who we wanted. And Nil um Nil was talking about, you know, Dale Talon. He said, Well, I actually got him in the first round too. And I said, How? He goes, uh, you know, we had a conversation afterwards and said that we got them on Ottinger. That apparently you guys wanted when you were with Florida, wanted Ottinger as well. Dallas got him. You guys wanted Robertson, and Dallas got him as well. What do you remember from that 2017 draft? Well, I remember that they were like five feet away from us, so it was uh, frustrating for Dale and I. There's no question. But uh, <laughs> they, um, as you know, they have a fantastic scouting staff there. Oh, yeah. and actually, their their organization has just you know historically done a, a really good job. We did have Ottinger as a guy as well. Um, we loved Ottinger's uh, interview. We really, we were in that, uh, and uh, you know, soon thereafter, of course, a couple of years later, we we had drafted uh, Spencer, Spencer Knight, Knight, and we were in that cycle where Lou was uh, heading towards the end, and we had some guys coming, uh, Sam Montembeau, for example, who yep. we thought that still could have a chance, but. Uh, we were really in search of an elite player, uh, elite number one goalie. And uh, so these are all part of the conversations that, that definitely were had. Um, it was it was fun. Joe McDonnell and I looking at each other and Dale and Jim. It was, uh, you know, you couldn't, let, let me, it's a good thing that we weren't mic'd up right at that second. I'll put it to you that way. It yeah. Was, that, those are the fun things on the draft floor that you don't see, right, from the stands. But we're like, oh, come on. Are you serious? The Robertson <laughs> one, though. That was the real, uh, I have to be clear, the Robertson one, that was the real kick. Like, we were so excited and sitting on him, sitting on him, and yeah. and, uh, and it didn't happen. That one was a kicker. Boy. There must, geez, have, been a a, it must have been a, a, a lot of salt on the tongues around the Florida table when uh, when Dallas took Robertson. Okay, let me uh, let me get back to your list here. So, Adam Fantilli in at uh, at number two. Um, quick, quick thought on Fantilli because I want to park some time here to talk about Leo Carlson. But what should people know about Adam Fantilli? The first time I saw him with my own eyes when he was playing with the Toronto Red Wings was the OHL Cup. It was the 2003s against Don Mills, that juggernaut team with Shane Wright and Brennan Nothman and Brand Clark, etc. And man, Fantilli for a lot of people, certainly in the first period and maybe the second period as well, really stole the show. What should we know about Fantilli? Well, he's a modern-day NHL player. Uh, size 6'2", 195, can play the middle, can play the wing. Um, exceptionally fast. I mean, this kid is quick out of the gates, exceptionally fast in transition. The one thing that I was concerned about um, coming out of U18s last year in Germany was he plays the game so fast, I was concerned he might have a little Rico Fata in him in that, you know, huh. sometimes you you play it so fast that you run out of options. If if you know what I mean, like yep. you're, you know, you're up ice so fast, your 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 line mates can't catch it. So I'm just trying to, you know, people. I, I maybe I'm showing my age when I throw Rico Fat in there, but I think you understand like what I'm saying. So, um, so Fantilli, uh, uh, speed, skill, competitive, can play the wing, can play in the middle, can play in all situations. What he did for Team Canada at the uh, World Juniors was remarkable for me. You and I both know, because we've been around and seen it enough, that high-end players who don't get thrust into roles that they're most comfortable with, sometimes they have two choices. They can uh, play out of position and not uh, uh, play to any type of an identity. They just kind of blend in. Or they can sulk about it, right? And then they're yep. really not in. Not and he did the exact opposite. He, his energy, he played the body, he was physical. Um, he did everything right. He played a complete game, near a complete game. So then he goes back to Michigan, and what does he do? 
he just takes his game to a whole nother level. Like he led the NCAA in scoring and missed all that time with Team Canada. Yep. He's up for the he's up for the Hobie Baker. If I was a betting man right now, I think he's going to win it. I know Nye's won the Big Ten Player of the Year. Cooley's a fantastic player. Yes. He was number one. He was number one on my draft list last year. But I just think the Fantilli's going to put a bow on his season with the Hobie Baker. That could be wrong, obviously, but uh, that would be kind of a cool story. And any other year, we'd be talking about him all day long, but it's a Connor Bedard year. Yeah, it is that show. Uh, I want to spend a couple of moments talking about Mitch Koff from Times Becoming an Authority here. Let me ask you what we, you think we should know about Leo Carlson. Uh, I know that there's one team that's in the lottery that, listen, no one's, no one's, they, if they win, they're taking Bedard. But I mean, I think you can make a strong case at number two because some teams have for Leo Carlson. So I have to, he's not Alexander Barkov, so I don't want to, to, to mislead anybody, but he has the look of Barky on the wing. If that, mm. if that paints a picture to people, big body, transports the puck, awesome puck touch extends plays along the boards. There's plays like two people will engage on him on the half wall. He'll take a bump. He'll escape pressure with his reach. He'll bump a guy off the puck. And then, of course, that means there's somebody open on the ice, right? Because he just defied two people. So then he moves it somewhere. So he's got five assists in his last five uh, SHL playoff games doing those types of things. All right, Matt Faye Mitchkoff, here's, here's my question. There's no denying the skill. And we've talked about Mitchkoff for, you know, as long as we talked about Connor Bedard as well. I'm curious where something that we all know, understand the Russian factor in the contract and will he ever come over? Um, I, I'm curious about which team would take him where. Tell me where to stop here. If you're team number four, do you take him? Team number five, do you take him? Team number six, do you take him? Team number seven, do you take him? Team number stop there. seven? Yeah, that's that's my that's my line in the sand right there. I'm willing to roll the dice at that point. Um, I have Crystal at seven, but Mitchkoff is uh, the second most skilled player in the draft. I'm going to roll the dice that he's going to be uh, Kirill Kaprizov or Kaprizov uh, mm. like when he comes over, Panarin like when he comes over with his impact. Um, like Andre Kuzmenko came over here, Jeff. I'm not going to take too long. But Kuzmenko's come over and plotted. I think he's got 36 now, and he's the same age that uh, Mitch Koff will be when he arrives. So just as a comparison, perspective-wise, for the length of time he plays in the KHL, um, what Mitch Koff's been doing recently is historical. On loan with Sochi at the end of the year here, yeah. like he had 20 points in 27 games, and that's hard to do at that level yep. um, when you're his age. Remarkable. Uh, this is going to be a fascinating draft after number one because we all know who's going there. And to me, the Mitchkoff question is uh, is one of the big ones, uh, as it is for a lot of people. Uh, Books, great job. Um, his full 51 available at sportsnet.ca um, right now. Go check it out. Some really interesting reading. Books, thanks as always, pal. You be good. Yeah, you too, pal. Have a great weekend. Jason Bukla uh, joining us who uh, ran drafts for uh, a lot of teams, elite-level scouts, uh, Nashville Predators, Florida Panthers as well. And uh, now we get to pick his brain on a regular basis. Uh, his top 51 available, again, at sportsnet.ca. Bedard and everybody else. And the everybody else is kind of fascinating this time around as well. Uh, Soraya Tinker from the uh, champion Toronto Six drops by in a couple of moments. Uh, big celebrations around the city of Toronto as uh, the Isobel Cup goes north for the first time in the PHF's existence as a league. Soraya Tinker joins me in moments. Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program here Monday to Friday starting at noon Eastern. Uh, I'm pleased to say this. Soraya Tinker is a champion with her team, the Toronto Six, uh, capturing the Isabel Cup in a thrilling overtime game against Minnesota earlier on this week. Soraya, thanks so much for joining me today. And it's been a few days, so you can shake the cobwebs a little bit. I'm sure the celebration was fantastic uh, after the win at Mullet Arena in Arizona. Uh, congratulations. Um, first of all, congratulations. You're a champion. 
<laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And, and yeah, we definitely had some time to celebrate. And in Arizona, we had a team Airbnb until about yesterday. So we're all just getting back into town. But um, definitely happy to come back into Toronto as champions. <laughs> well, listen, it's um, I know there's going to be you know big celebrations this weekend for your team uh, at Canlins York as well and, and City Hall, etc. Um, I, I want to ask you about this squad. And this squad welcomed uh, a number of different players this season. Um, whether it was, you know, Britt Howard or, or Daryl Watts, what was it about this year's edition of the Toronto Six, you know, that really sort of gelled together and, and led you to a championship? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that we're just really four lines deep. Um, we know that our fourth line can score. We know that our first lines can score. So in that sense, uh, we, we knew and we were all confident in each other. And we knew that if one line wasn't stepping up that game, we had another not, a line to do the same. So um, obviously, we obviously got Elaine Julie in, in net as our MVP goalie. So yeah. um, we're, we always trust her back there as well. But uh, but again, I think it was a full team effort. Um, and, and we know that we got a full full team, full four strong lines. So uh, we were ready to go. How do you feel the support has been? Like I mentioned City Hall a second ago, and it was, you know, wonderful seeing that picture of, uh, of the entire squad there. And, um, you know, I mentioned Canlon. I should, I should point out Canlon's on Sunday from 2 to 3 Eastern at uh, Canlon's York. And then you'll be honored that night at the Maple Leafs game and then April 16th at the Blue Jays game as well. How do you feel the support has been for your team in the PHF here in Toronto? Yeah, it's, it's been absolutely amazing. I mean, as soon as we ended that game, I think all of us were pretty surprised at the amount of people that were texting us and giving us shout-outs as, as we didn't realize how many people actually cared. Um, as, as terrible as that may sound, I mean, we, we really want that support on the women's side of the game, and um, we're seeing that, especially now bringing the cup home. So obviously having our, our hometown team support us with the Leafs and the Blue Jays, uh, we're excited to be recognized by um, our male counterparts, which is a huge, important piece of growing the game. Um, but yeah, we're, we're super excited to be recognized and you know be, be champions and, and be recognized as such. You know, anyone who uh, wasn't familiar with uh, with uh, with the PHF and with the Toronto Six or, or anybody in the league for that matter that that watched it for the first time, um, you know, this this playoffs uh, uh, along, one of the things that people kept saying, and I just talked to Shannon Goldman a couple of seconds ago who made this the exact same point, um, man, that's a rough game. Like it's uh, it's supposed to be, you know, this uh, this non non contact skill uh, skill side of the sport. Um, you guys really go for it physically. You have a thought on that yeah. one? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I think as women, we, we love to be physical, especially on the, on the ice. So um, when people ask me if they're sitting in our game and I have to answer no, um, I definitely make sure to ensure them that there is there, a lot of body contact for sure. There so, is hitting. Um, if Stop. You're, there's, the, yeah. <laughs> it might not be legal, no, exactly. but there's there's plenty of hitting in your game. I, I always chuckle at that question too. It's like, well, technically no, but that doesn't stop them. Is what I always yeah, say. no, exactly. There's definitely a lot of body contact. And I mean, we even have, we got Taylor Woods on defense, my defense partner. Uh, she just won the Arnold two weeks before we won the championship. So um, in that sense, we've got some strong, badass women on the team. <laughs> Who are, you know, I'm, I'm always curious too, because you're, you're a real team person. Who are you like, you know, they, uh, the, the overtime is over. The six are, are successful Win the Isabel cup. Uh, who do you think of right away? I mean, I want to get to your teammates, but I mean, outside of your teammates, Who's in your mind right away when you win that thing? Yeah, um, it's definitely my girls. Um, I, I can't wait to share it with my mentees and, and all the women in Black Girl Hockey Club um, and, and put another black woman's name on that, Isabel Cup. Obviously, we got Blake Bolden, uh, Kelsey Colzer, and I believe yeah. uh, Brian Mastel's on there as well. So in that sense, I, I'm excited to share it with them and, and show them that this is what they helped me accomplish because it was definitely uh, a big part of, of them helping me get there. So yeah, I'm excited to share it with them. You mentioned getting texts, and, I, and I'm always curious, you know, when you have these big achievements, who, who reaches out like who are some of the more more notable people that reached out either to you or your teammates yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I think we love to see the the uh, support from the men's side of the game. So, obviously, having male players text us. Um, I mean, I know, I know, TK commented on my on my Instagram post on yeah. our our championship post. So, in that sense, it's always so nice to see us being recognized, but also um, realizing that the Isabel Cup is is something huge, especially in women's hockey to win. So, uh, we're able to take that championship as as uh, the best team in North America, um, coming from the Toronto Six here. <laughs> Is there um is there is there a teammate that you felt particularly good about as uh, as you guys beat Minnesota at Mullet? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think all of my teammates um, contribute. And uh, we, Again, we have full four lines. But um, again, I mean, I think my, my defense partner, Taylor Woods, and I, um, we definitely have, have, our, have had our troubles this season. But um, at the same time, we, we were able to come together and, and play as a full force. That, that game and I, I mean we were very strong in the back end and um, I know I can always be confident in my in my D partner but um, I think Elaine Chuli is the, really the one that sticks out to me um, especially as a D man I mean I know that she's always behind me that there to back me up and um, and save me when I when I mess up so in that sense Elaine is, is the is the one that comes to mind and and I know that she's always consistent um, and she's an amazing team player as well. You know, one of the things that I've always talked about when uh, when anyone mentions your name is, I say, Soraya Tinker is going to be able to and can right now do whatever she wants. Like, it must be a really <laughs> incredible feeling to know, like, you know, and I'm, like, you still have plenty of hockey to play here. I'm not trying to wrap up your career. But whenever the <laughs> career is done, like, you're one of these people that's talented, charismatic, intelligent. Like, you can kind of choose what you want to do when, when all of this is over. I know hockey is still top of mind right now, but it's not <laughs> the only thing that you're interested in. For those that you know, want a, a, a better snapshot of who Soraya Tinker is outside of hockey, right shot D, patrolling the blue. Who are you? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I'm the executive director of Black Girl Hockey Club Canada. So um, that takes up a lot of my time outside of the arena, even though that still involves me being in an arena. Um, but I appreciate all those compliments. Um, I definitely have found a passion for being on screen and being on camera. Um, so actually this, this fall, I'm going to have my own show coming out. Um, it's called Breaking Down Barriers, and awesome. it's all about individuals and organizations changing hockey culture. Um, so focusing on the women's game to LGBTQ+, IA, um, everything, uh, sledge hockey, blind hockey, um, amazing things in hockey that we haven't seen be highlighted just because um, we want the game to be for everyone and we want to be able to highlight those things. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm working on outside of the arena. But um, at the same time, I think my life will always revolve around it, hockey in, in some sense. <laughs> well, listen, and listen. And you're, you're part of the biggest growth segment of hockey, and that's the women's game right now. You know, I always say to any of you know, my male counterparts, like, if you are interested in hockey, capital H hockey, uh, the women's game is where it grows. And if the women's game continues to grow, it benefits everybody because that means more programs for everybody. That means more rinks for everybody. That mm-hmm. means stronger equipment manufacturers. Like, at every single level, you know, I, I look at, you know, the rise of hockey, and if it's going to take that next step, a lot of it and no pressure, Soraya, is going to be because of women. Like, yeah. it, it seems like really, it, it should seem obvious to everybody. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's what, exactly what this league is trying to do. I mean, we want people to invest in us. And um, obviously, we see these men investing in teams. We just saw Tom Brady invest in yeah. um, the, the Vegas Aces. So obviously, uh, the women's game is on the rise. And like you said, if you want to see the game grow, you got to invest in the women's side. Um, there's so many little girls, so many more little girls than when I was even y- younger and, and playing. So um, I'm, I'm so excited for what the future holds of the women's game. And I mean, even with this league, our salary cap increasing, um, us having benefits and coverage for the first time ever. Um, these are huge steps in the women's game. And I mean, we're looking forward to, to making more steps and strides in the right direction, but I'm excited to see my mentees play pro hockey and, and have only hockey to worry about. <laughs> yeah, no, I listen, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm curious, but we'll, we'll end on this one. Um, how important was ball hockey to you? Yeah, I mean, ball hockey was imperative. I mean, it was my summer sport, I would say. Um, and, I mean, it helped me with my hands. I think in ball hockey, you get a lot more time and a lot more control with the ball. Yeah. Um, and I always loved being out there. So um, the Oshawa Ball Hockey League, the association has always been my summer sport. My dad coached me. All of my brothers have played in the league. And it's really just a super fun sport to play aside from being on the ice. Um, it's it's a, it's hot. It's a good workout. And uh, I've always loved playing. But, yeah. <laughs> it, it, I, I echo all that, and I'm, I'm glad that the NHL is getting involved in a significant way with uh, with ball hockey. Andrew Ferentz, a big part of that, part of that uh, NHL initiative. Um, I'm going to close by just offering you the floor. Um, you know, blank, blank page here. Whoever you want to thank or talk about or draw attention to, Soraya Tinker, the, the floor is yours. Last question is, say whatever you want about whomever <laughs> you want. Go. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, shout out to all my teammates. Um, I love them all. Uh, shout out to our management. Obviously, Angela James is a huge piece of this. Um, our equipment guy, Chris, for sharpening our skates all season, <laughs> um, regardless of whether he gets yelled at about it or not. Um, <laughs> in, in that sense, I, I think we have a lot of people to thank. Um, and I mean, for myself, it's my family who's helped me get here. Um, and we can't wait to be Toronto's team and be known by everybody in the GTA um, and come out and support us on Sunday at our party. Party, uh, at Canland York. <laughs> and that is 2-3 to three, uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, 2-3 to three Eastern at Canlan Sports York, and then honor that night at the Maple Leafs game, and then April 16th at the Jays game. Man, you're a talent. Uh, congratulations. Uh, one of the elite players in the PHF. Congratulations to you, your teammates at Toronto 6. You mentioned Angela James and Sammy Joe Small will throw her in there, and Geraldine Heaney, etc. Um, yeah. Congratulations, Soraya. It really looks good on you and looks good on the entire organization. For sure. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, the great Soraya Tinker, uh, right-hand shot, patrol in the D, Toronto 6, PHF champions. Last year was Boston. That dynasty was ended by Minnesota. That mini dynasty had won two in a row, and then that was ended by the Toronto 6 in overtime in a thriller and a really physical game as well at Mullet Arena in Tempe. Uh, a lot of people want to thank, as always, uh, thanks to Soraya Tinker for stopping by the Toronto 6. Thanks to Jason Bukala. Uh, at sportsnet.ca, his latest draft rankings is top 51. Uh, Shannon Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast talking about rules when we were supposed to be talking about value contracts. I guess we kind of did get around to that eventually. Uh, Dave Randor, play-by-play voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Don't look now. The Tampa Bay Lightning are getting into playoff mode, and that should frighten, checks notes, everybody. Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Speaking of Hockey Nights, Tomorrow, all gets underway at 6.30 Eastern with the pregame show and your host, Ron McLean. A pair at 7, the Leafs and Sens, the Hurricanes and Habs, and then your late game, the Edmonton Oilers facing off against the Anaheim Ducks. Back Monday. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you then.